0: Speaking of Reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Shankelberg,
1: And this is Greg Hutchins.
0: Hey, Greg. Um, we didn't get a question for this one, but the last time we talked... Um, and I know and having talked to you over the years about risk and risk management and, and reading the articles you and your crew put up on Ascendo is that the reliability engineering work and the quality engineering work that, that I'm most familiar with is really looking at a product or I think you phrase it as a transactional level it's basically do we use this supplier or that supplier or do is this meeting the requirements or not meeting the requirements is this process stable or not stable and and we can work out what's the impact if we have a higher than expected failure rate for example we can work out the numbers of that pretty straightforward most of the time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but in our last discussion and i know from in our previous, my reading and your, and our discussions, that there's more and more emphasis, and you mentioned it last time we talked, is that there's, um, the SEC is basically saying, hey, you need to put in your filings as a public company, what's your, your risk, I don't remember the right phrase for it, what's your, what's the material risks that are facing you, I think, or something like that. And so the impression is, is that, there's larger programs. And I know that ISO 31,000 or 3,100,000, I don't know how many zeros around that thing, um, (laughs) has a framework on how to set one up. And more and more companies are looking at it as a process or a technique to to establish an enterprise risk management program. But I've always found that what we do in reliability, um, well, let me put it this way. uh, when I was with hewlett Packard, and this is years and years ago
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, w- the s e c had not required us or any of the public traded companies to report their warranty expenditures mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. and
0: so companies like Enron and others and um I think Firestone and a few others you know played games with using their warranty budget to even out their apparent profits over time, <laughs> kind of thing and so they SEC says, ah, no, stop that. You have to report it now. And But before it was started being reported, I started asking questions as a reliability engineer working in the company, saying, well, how much do we pay in warranty? And, and the senior, you know, there'd be a, a senior exec would be doing a presentation somewhere, and is there any questions? And I'd raise my hand and say, yeah, so how much warranty are we paying? You know, we're a $40 billion company, how much are we paying? Because we got it wrong, and usually they look like deer in the headlights because they didn't know. And so I walked into the the financial area of the corporation headquarters because I lived was working across the street from there, and they have the nicest carpet and, and nice lush plants and all that <laughs> stuff. They live pretty high in the hog. Um, and I asked a bunch of people and finally got somebody assigned because they got tired of me pestering them, somebody, some financial guy got a, a sign to go figure it out. And about three months later, he came back and said, we're paying, I think it was 4% of net revenue in warranty, was his estimate. And, and in context, we were spending about 7 or 8% of net revenue in R&D. I mean, all the engineering, all the managers, all the programs across the forty billion dollar company at, at that time, and so it was half of the budget of what we spent to develop products was being shipped out the door in little bundles of oh, "I'm sorry, we screwed that up."
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so, uh, you know, so I I made a chart because it, I think it was the early '80s. Yeah, it was the early '80s the CEO at that time says, hey, warranty's out of control. We got to fix this. And it was about 4%. And they worked on it for a decade with senior level management, paying attention to it, opening meetings with it, always asking about it. All kinds of work was done. And it got down to like one and a half, two 2% of net revenue. In the meantime, they also included a whole pile of consumer products. They went from a test and measurement company to a consumer products company, essentially. And so they're they got really good at making good products that lasted through the warranty period at least and and often much longer and then they said, all right good we done we're finished with that. We don't have to worry about that anymore and And then they didn't track it at all for five years, and so I got around and said, "Well, what is it?" And it was back up to four percent and so we created this little chart that eighty it was at four percent ninety it was at one and a half percent at nine at ninety in 1995, 96, it was back up to 4%. We called it a V-chart. And it got the senior management to pay attention to it because now it was material. They could see that if they pay attention to it, they could save a billion dollars a year. And, and, but nobody was reporting it. Nobody cared at the SEC side of it. So part of what my question to you is, Greg, is and there's a long preamble coming into this, sorry about that, but it's as a reliability person, we do work on things and pay attention to things that really can be material to the company. And the risk of creating poor products or bad products has an impact beyond just warranty. Um, Yeah, we might have supply chain issues, we might have everything else, but if that supply chain issue means we use crap parts and we ship out products that create doubling of our warranty, well, that's a problem. But how do I, other than just by persistence, fit into a larger reliability or a, a risk management program with these reliability issues that I typically have to deal with?
1: Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll give you a very quick, blithe answer, and then I'll give you a more in-depth answer Uh, Point of view, if that's okay, Sure. Um, Basically, folks who do product or quality related stuff will bill out at X dollars per hour. Let's say 200 to maybe 300 dollars an hour. On the other hand, people who deal with materiality issues at the enterprise level. Their bill rate will be 800 to 1,200, 1,400 bucks
0: an hour. All right. So you're saying us reliability folks are just not getting
1: paid enough? What I'm saying is, <laughs> oh, reliability, <power. laughs> us reliability and quality folks, and I'm putting myself in that same bucket. We need to have an enterprise point of view. So one of the things that I'm doing, and I'm doing it tomorrow, I did it last week, is I'm running around the country uh, giving these quality talks to quality professionals and probably some reliability and basically saying that if you change your point of view, you can double your salary and there's data to support that. And you've probably have seen it in my, uh, in my talks, mm-hmm. but basically, uh, the product perspective is hugely important. But if you move up to the process level, to the business unit and to the enterprise level, That I think gives you more cachet, more credibility, more value, gravitas to the organization. Well,
0: with with this, I mean an example of of what I did when I was at HP was we, and it was more the credit to my boss, but it was our team that brought it up. And he went and figured out how to implement it. Uh Was uh that the procurement organization, like Uh many many procurement organizations, basically got their bonuses if they cut. You know year over year cost of acquiring all the materials that we use to build products uh if they cut it by ten percent uh-huh right, but it wasn't tied to that if the product worked or not, there was no balance to it whatsoever. They could cut prices or cut costs or you know get cheaper parts and we had evidence over and over and over again that it just showed up ten x in downside costs to customers and warranty expenses and call center things. And so what we what happened was that we had the data to show that connection which wasn't hard to do. And we went to the senior staff and said you need to change the bonus structure so that it's tied to warranty. If you use cheaper parts and the warranty doubles, you get no bonus. Or you know, some formula like that. And uh, well, the procurement guys weren't too happy about that, but we also got a whole lot more attention to actually getting parts that worked rather than the cheapest. Uh, Is that, I mean, that's the enterprise level is looking at that overall process of bonuses and rewards and corporate management essentially, and tweaking it so that we actually serve the larger shareholder stakeholders uh, 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 needs or expectations. Uh, rather than just the silos that th- we were seeing in the company
1: absolutely right, and what you did is you changed behavior you looked at objectives kpis, key performance indicators, and you changed them, and that changed the management of the organization to focus or <laughs> on a different on a different issue different enterprise issue, which yeah. was material yeah so
0: i i, I Throw that out there because it's 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 a way that reliability folks and quality folks that I sent instead of focusing on did I do this test and gather this particular data is what's the larger impact to this overall program and if I see a problem with procurement, I might not be the only prog program that's having this impact getting this this adverse impact. What if I multiply that times all of our programs? Oh, now it's a real problem, and by that's what I think is what you're talking about is change your focus or or, or perspective.
1: And what happens is from a from a risk point of view, you change your levers for the organization. A right. level before might have been, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, what's your through throughput? You know, what's your quality AQL level, acceptable mm-hmm. quality level. Now you're changing the levers of the organization through risk rewards KPIs again right <laughs> yeah well there's KPIs
0: but the KPIs are and that might be a subject for another discussion how do you motive, how do you use those measures or 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 monitoring devices well uh, in this particular case is they were tied very tied directly to bonuses and and so by we found that if you change the KPI and it's not tied to your bonus, they'll pay attention to the KPIs that are bonus related and, you know, and, or the ones that they favor the most or they can do easiest. But when it was one that was tied directly to their bonus, all of a sudden people started really paying attention to it.
1: And you change the behaviors in the organization, the risks, risk rewards in the organization. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, we, we didn't do that. We, we made that recommendation and supported it rather vociferously another one of those long syllable words, um, <laughs> um, to the senior staff, you know, the, the, the president and senior exec exec level CEO and their, in her suite. Um, and they said, yeah, that makes sense. Let's do that. And so then they pay, paid some consultant a whole pile of money to figure out how to do it, but you know, whatever.
1: <laughs> but let's, let's take that theme for a second when you, you know, and your story is great, Fred, when you do that, you're basically changing the levers in the organization. Mm-hmm. The levers are really control points. Control points of what? Uh, monitoring and treating and evaluating risk. All right. Connect that. Because one of the, one of the, one of the things that, and I, I, I'm not going to get philosophical here, but risk and control. Risk and reward go together. They're basically opposite sides of the same coin. Right. You can't have reward without risk. You can't have risk without reward. Much the same way you cannot have risk without control. And using risk and control at the enterprise level is basically the way to manage. One way to manage, I should say. Right. Because those are the levers to change things, to do things, to Develop new products, you know.
0: But there's also an aspect of it where those levers become the control points. By paying attention to them, provide uh, alerts or uh, or signals that something's working or not working.
1: Absolutely, that's what signal control signal to noise ratios mean. Right. You know, you want to focus on the material elements, not the insignificant uh, many. You know. Right. <laughs> Uh, I don't want to get philosophical, but all this stuff is interrelated, and it, what it really comes down to is everything's going to be risk based in an organization, and we, as reliability quality professionals, if we understand that, I think we're going to be in a much better position to help ourselves, help the organization, and um, basically add more value
0: well, here's a, another scenario that I run into and I, I is in a factory uh-huh. and, and part, and I'm using a stereotype here that I think a good (laughs) part of our audience here would would understand is that if you're in a factory and and the operations manager is is looking at the number of trucks being filled per day and being shipped out, right? Meeting orders or shipping orders, basically Uh, throughput or volume, you know, completed or whatever. And um, if that's the primary measure is this factory working efficiently? Are we meeting our targets? Are we sending enough widgets or bottles or whatever out the door? Then they're good. But when we have an equipment breakdown, the stereotype is the operation manager is get that fixed as fast as you can. So we, we have then basically minimize the ability to understand the root cause of it, which is a very transactional level type thing is understanding what's the fundamentals of this equipment breakdown. And, How can I fix it, not just get it up and running, but also so it doesn't break down tomorrow, you know, kind of thing, or next week, or make sure that we fix it systemically, not just patch it. But the pressure in many, many organizations is get it running and not do it right. So it's, how how would you pivot that scenario so that you, you know can make the argument, no, we really do need to fix this the right way and understand the failures and systemically make changes that fix things rather than just, you know, run our equipment into the ground.
1: Wow, that's a loaded question. So I've been an operations manager. I've also run $100 million jobs. And there's this classic issue of operations or project management – You have the triple constraints, uh, schedule, cost, quality. Right. And you can basically manage two simultaneously. So you can manage cost, uh, you know, uh, and you can manage, say, schedule. But what happens? The quality is going to go down the tank. Right. What happens quite often is, (laughs) and I've been guilty of this as an operations or project manager, is uh, the the (laughs) – The cost and the schedule drive everything. And what happens is uh, co- uh, quality goes down. And in this case, change orders go up. So the equivalent of in a project, quality, the equivalent of the equivalent of uh, quality is normally cost or change orders. So change orders go up. And what happens is to keep the project on schedule and on budget, I have to basically approve maybe four, six, eight, ten 10 percent cost overruns. And what happens is quite often the fixes tend to be situational, tend to be uh, not root cause, but uh, sis, uh, what do you call it, symptomatic fixes.
0: Yeah, well I call them duct tape and bailing wire fixes.
1: <laughs> same <laughs> thing, Fred, yeah. same thing. But again, if the two issues, that for me, the project manager or the operations manager is to get that equipment running, again, cost and schedule, Quality will be the third part of the triple.
0: Right, but let's say I understand that you're you're my operations manager. So how about this? How about if I walk in and say, "All right, last week was bad. we were at eighty percent of the volume you expected." And you you'd probably go, "Yeah, you know, what do you you got to work overtime and get to keep the plant running or whatever? We got to make these numbers." But what if we say, you know, if we actually had the budget to maintain this equipment? properly and lay out what that means and how much I expect it to cost, we would go from 80% volume per you know of our targets per week to 95%. And that equals that much more throughput for you or whatever. The, or we could phrase it as the probability of a breakdown during a, a shift goes way down if we can have the time and the resources and tools to actually properly maintain the equipment. So if I can phrase it as the benefit is is that, yeah, we can make these numbers. The equipment is capable of doing that if we maintain it correctly. Let's get rid of all these patches and baling wire type things and actually get good parts on here.
1: The solution then is that if the demand is there, we're going to be running three ships, two production, third maintenance. And-
0: right. but that's But that oftentimes is... I don't know why that's not seen by an operations manager is the trade-off of you got to sharpen the ax in order to chop the tree. You know, if you just keep wailing at the trees, you're just going to get slower and slower and worse and worse at it. You might build shoulder strength, but that's about
1: it. <laughs> uh, because we're all used to in a project or in a, sh- in a shop, in a, in a uh, factory, we want to keep it running and uh, basically fighting fires is the way that we look good.
0: Yeah, unfortunately that's unfortunately that's way too common. But it, I but th- I think shifting your point of view and going, yes, I understand that's important. Here's the the value to the organization or stakeholders if we hit our numbers for shipments. Right? And then take a percentage of that and say, let's put that into maintenance so that we can improve our ability to actually make our numbers.
1: But did you see how you reframe the problem, Fred? You went from product, machine, to the process, to basically enterprise, justifying, uh, correctly so, reframing the problem in terms of the factory and in terms of being more efficient, looking at throughput and looking at value, looking at cost.
0: Yeah. I, I don't know. I've learned it over the years from a variety of different mentors, is that you've yet to walk if you're trying to change somebody else's mind or behavior, you actually have to frame it in something that's important to them.
1: Absolutely. Just because it's important to me <laughs> that
0: I get called. I don't like getting called at at two in the morning to go, you know, fix a down event kind of thing. Um, that won't fly with the ops manager. <laughs> no, no. no. I, that's why you're on on call. <laughs> that's what you're here for. Go fix it. What takes you so long? But if I reframe it as, this will actually benefit you and making you what's important to you. That just seems a little bit too easy. I don't know, but it's how I think we we, reliability folks and, and variety of folks that listen to this, uh, unless you're at the C level already, how we can fit into it. But I think it also works vice versa. I mean, the, the C level folks, if they want a good program have to, they can't say, Oh, we need to ship a million products. Uh, and then tell all their program managers and, and, and supply chain engineers and everybody else, you know, that's the target without giving them any budget or money or in, any support to actually go do it.
1: That's the classic problem with um, supply chain management, with operations management, even with software development now. Okay. That's the classic problem.
0: <laughs> well, I am probably not going to solve it in the next 30 seconds. So we'll wrap it up here. Um, but I guess I've been fitting into the larger pictures over the years, just kind of naturally. But I think I've been, you know, uh, uh, nudged into it by a couple of very smart people. Uh, but it's also I found talking value or what's important to the other person or with them what what's in it for them. You know, huh. for me, I think is the way it said. But what's in <laughs> it for them? It's the way I think of it. Um, really can go a long way to to helping people understand the risk but it also if it's not material if it's not important to the organization why bother you know we're not going
1: to go anywhere with that so quick story probably the final one my daughter's being interviewed now for internships and i've been giving her the wiffum mentality or yep. message <laughs> and uh, she had an interview last week and what she said was uh, the guy asked said okay well why should we hire you essentially and she came, basically came up with a uh, whiff 'em for you. <laughs> What's in it for you by hiring me? So in other words, help me help you make money. So anyway, just a thought. Did she get hired? <laughs> we'll find out this week. Right. Cross our fingers. Cross your fingers. All right. <laughs>
0: Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks, Greg. And um, if you've got, you're listening to this and if you're looking at, um, you know how do you fit into the larger programs within your organization and the risk management, which, as Greg you said earlier, is is a way most senior management. Does their business anyway? Now there's frameworks and other processes to to wrap around it, but it's still managing risks and risk and reward systems. But if you've, you're listening to this and if you've got a question for us or an idea or, or a topic you'd like us to talk about, you know, let us know. Join the conversation. You can do that over at ascendoreliability.com slash go slash sor. You can leave us a voice message or you can leave us a written message. Greg and I and the other hosts of the show are available to and look forward to hearing from you on LinkedIn or on our about pages where we have lots of contact info. So we do sincerely look forward to hearing from you. So uh well thanks, Greg. I think I got a I think some of the examples I laid out for you is I think I've been kind of doing this already, but <laughs> didn't really realize it.
1: Yep, you have, and uh, I just want to second your thought. If you got any suggestions, folks, bring them on in. You want to hear them? Yeah,
0: definitely. All right, thanks, Greg. We'll we'll talk to you again soon.
1: Thank you, boss. Appreciate your time, boss. <laughs> <Bye>. Cheers. <laughs> thanks for listening
0: to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation. If you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on
1: iTunes.